0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Mimiverse Monthly AudioCast. I am your host, writer-director Christopher R. Mim, and I have to ask, are you there? Are you listening? Did you have a good holiday? Are you feeling rested and ready for this brand new year? Are you excited about all the things coming up in this coming chunk of 12 months? Chunk of 12 months. That's not a great way to put it. But I think from this point forward should be the way that everybody puts it. This coming chunk of 12 months. Are you prepared? Are you looking forward to it? Do you have plans? Given the way things are, I don't feel like making plans is a good idea because you know what? They may just fall apart again. Because here we are, the beginning of year three of the coronavirus pandemic, and we have this great big spike of Omicron taking over the world. So this is great, right? And by great, I mean this sucks. But, I mean, what can you do? It is what it is, I guess. Just get vaccinated, get boosted if you can. Be smart, stay healthy, stay home if you're sick, get tested, all that stuff. I don't need to go over it a million times. I've talked a lot about what you can do to help stop the spread of COVID-19. And honestly, either you're gonna or you're not. Either you believe or you don't. Either you're vaccinated or you think that you'll be just fine. I can't do anything to change your mind at this point, I don't think. If you're like me and you feel like the best thing you can do is wear a mask and get vaccinated and all that stuff and and be smart and try not to spread the damn thing, good for you. If instead you're one of those people that's just like, you gotta die sometime and you don't wear a mask anywhere and you're unvaccinated, just stay the hell away from me. I don't want to get sick. I am deathly afraid of being sick, being in a hospital, medical stuff. If you listen to my vaccine story from last year, you know I really don't like this stuff, so I don't want to get it. But I'm not going to stop you from getting it, although I kind of will by wearing a mask, because if I'm sick, I won't ideally give it to you. But that's not the conversation we're going to have today. Honestly, though, we've been doing this for two years, everybody. If you still want to fight about it, I don't want to deal with you. I just don't. I think there's something interesting happening. And it's really something that I've slowly been coming to realization about, modern society and social media in particular. Social media has been useful for helping me to stay in touch with you guys, with fans and friends and, and folks interested in what it is I do. Beyond that, it's crap. Social media, I think, is one of the worst things that ever happened to American society. And society as a whole, because it is controlled by nerds who want to make money and corporations. And now you're just like, "Uh oh, he's going full crackpot conspiracy theorist. No, if you think about it and you do your own research, say, that's what I feel like I sound like right now. But really, so much of social media has been used for ill for the last like five years. And I've just decided that I just, I don't want it anymore. Maybe not that so much as I've decided to only use it for good. I use it to sell stuff to you guys. I guess whether or not that's actually good is up to you to decide. I also use it, if you're interested, in posting photos of my themed dinners. During the early stages of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, we started doing themed dinners because I refused to go to any restaurant until I got vaccinated. And I refused to even eat restaurant food, which probably didn't help out the local food service industry. But I just didn't feel safe. And that was just me. And I know a lot of folks out there, they went out and they did it, but... I just did not feel safe. And honestly, I didn't have the money. 2020 was very rough, money-wise. I was just actually doing the financials for the end of the year, 2021. And I can look up lots of cool graphs and stuff from previous years to see good years or bad years, that kind of thing. 2020 was the worst year I've ever had. 2021, not so bad. We're, We're back on the upswing a little bit. Not quite as good as I would have liked it to be, but I figure given everything going on... We didn't do so bad. And I'm happy about that. That said, if you'd like to throw more money at me, I would greatly appreciate it. It's been a little rough. I'm fighting to stay alive. Anyway, I was talking about social media, but I was also talking about how I use it. And I've decided to try and use it more constructively to try and foster the community of the movies. But also, like I said, in 2020, when I wasn't going to restaurants, I like to cook. I always kind of have, and and I feel like I've gotten much better at it over the years. But in 2020 in particular, I really tried to stay creative with my cooking for the family, for the kids. So for fun, we started doing week-long themes to our dinners. And so we'd pick these crazy ones, like sandwich week or soup week. Those don't sound that crazy. We did like cuisine of the world or noodle week or whatever. And I started posting those on Facebook back before I more or less got off it from a personal perspective. And we had a lot of people who were having fun with it every night, seeing what it was we made and seeing if we could pull it off or not. But then when all the election stuff started happening and people just got so obnoxious, I just decided I was done with that. I couldn't stand it anymore. So many annoying people and people fighting over stupid shit that doesn't matter because they're more interested in their own side and their own particular propaganda, as opposed to saying, oh, you know what we have in common, and then trying to find it. But instead, you know, we're being manipulated by people with money interests, keeping us distracted. Okay, I do sound like a conspiracy theorist, yes, but there's some truth to one thing, and that corporations are terrible. Like, big corporations, they want to screw you every chance they get. and A lot of people just are like, okay, do it, I'm up for it. Not a great way to be. But anyway, so I stopped posting meals on Facebook, and I got all these messages from people who were like, Don't stop. I love all of your meals. Please come back. Show us your meals. We're still doing themed meals. Some of those meals are now littered with pictures of the McDonald's we have occasionally or the pizzas we order. But generally, I work from home. I'm an independent filmmaker. I bet you knew that. And I like to cook, so we still do themed dinners. So I started an Instagram account under Mim Dinners. You can find me on Instagram and follow me. And every day I just post a picture of uh, whatever the hell it is I'm eating. And I know that sounds like the most frivolous use of modern technology, but so what? It's fun, and it's positive, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted something that wasn't soul-suckingly dark. So I started posting my culinary experiments, some of which do not work. But some of them look pretty good. I won't always tell you when they don't taste right. Although I'll say this, there's something about pad thai I can't seem to get right. And I don't know if it's just the noodles or what, but there's something about it that I just, I can't seem to figure out. Same thing with fried rice. And I think some of the fried rice is because you should use old rice, but I think part of it, and this is just something that I realized recently, even though I swear to God, I've been told by lots of people over time and I just never listened till now, you got to rinse your rice before you cook it you got to get the starch off of it, or else it's sticky. Now, sticky rice does not work well for fried rice. And on top of that, fried rice is supposed to be something you make with the extra rice you have left over from yesterday. So you make white rice, and then if there's leftovers, you make fried rice out of it. But only after it's cooled. And honestly, the next day is the best time. So I'm still working on it, but I haven't quite got the taste and the texture and all these things quite right yet. But I'm working on it. And you can find out about all those things that I make And judge how appetizing they may or may not look if you join me on Instagram under Mim Dinners. Okay, that's enough of that. There's a lot of things I could get into that would make me sound like a crazy person. As if making all these cheesy 1950s style B-movies in the 21st century isn't enough to make me seem crazy. But I digress. Here we are. So, I'm just going to go back to talking about making movies and the Mimiverse. What's going on in the Mimiverse, you ask? Stuff. Stuff is going on. I'm in a weird spot right now. It feels like it's been a long time since I've been in this particular space where the only thing I'm doing right now is editing one movie. Since probably about 2018 when I started shooting Guns of the Apocalypse and Queen of Snakes at the same time... I've been really crazy busy. I, I made those two movies. I had written multiple movies. I was shooting one and then writing another one and Pandemic and the Holiday Special and all these things going on all at once. So I've had all these projects butting up against each other. I mean, I released Guns of the Apocalypse in fall of 2018 and then Queen of Snakes in spring of 2019. And then I started working on That Which Lurks in the Dark. And then that didn't work. But then I started shooting... The Beast Walks Among Us, which was a very big undertaking, and I wrote the holiday special, and then I was going to be shooting the holiday special, but then that kind of fell through, and then I did start shooting That which Lurks in the Dark, and then the pandemic hit, and then suddenly I have The Beast Walks Among Us. That's done. It's ready to go, but I can't release it because of the pandemic. I have to shut down That which Lurks in the Dark, which this is the second time I've tried to get this thing going, and I actually started shooting some, but nothing happened, and then I decide that I'm just going to write this other fan of like kids' movie and shoot it during the pandemic, and so we did that. I hadn't authored the Beast DVDs yet. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that all happened at once, on top of dealing with everything shutting down, me trying to figure out, okay, how do I keep this alive when I can't do events and all this stuff, right? And just making the adjustment. Plus, the kids are going to school from home, and it's just, it's crazy. And I release this movie. I started shooting in April, and I release it in June December and I finally start shooting the holiday special and then I'm shooting that and I start writing the new one And then we start shooting that I release the Beast Walks Among Us I finally finish off the holiday special release that all while finishing up shooting the day the earth abruptly almost ended Oh, and I forgot to mention. I also started making a Mimiverse themed video game I've been busy, right? But I realized with the release of the holiday special I'm just down to really the one major project, which is all shot, except for like three special effects shots, which I'll get to them basically when I get to that scene and I edit it, I'll just shoot the special effects because I'll know what shots I need, as opposed to shooting a bunch of stuff and figuring out what works. I'll be like, okay, I need this shot, this shot, this shot, which I generally don't do when I'm filming the bulk of it, the principal photography. I just shoot a bunch of coverage, but once I then edit it, then I know, okay, I only need these shots for special effects. If you've seen the holiday special, you know there's a big space battle with a flying saucer. I shot all that stuff last because I knew what shots I needed. And so once I got to that, I was like, okay, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need that, I need this kind of shot. And I just shot those shots and it went quickly. So it's time saving, especially when it comes to special effects, which good Lord. This new movie I'm editing now, which is again all I'm doing. I'm still working on that video game, but that's sort of like a behind the scenes other side project, right? It's not a main project. It's something I'm just going to be tinkering with until I'm happy and then I'll release it. Which, with all the stuff going on last year, I had to like put it on the back, back, back burner for most of the year. And I just recently started getting back to it. And I did that because I finally finished and released the holiday special, and now I'm just down to editing one movie. I don't even have a script written for whatever's next. In fact, I don't have any clue what's next. I have ideas, but I'm not feeling any of them yet. And I think part of that has to do with where we are in this stupid pandemic with this new spike. Because I don't know what I could realistically pull off this year. I mean, if I'm doing one a year... And I mean, if you think about it, I sort of did two last year. But if I'm doing one a year, I wouldn't have to actually start shooting whatever's next until end of summer, even the fall. I mean, I could get away with it. And I've done that before. A lot of the movies we didn't start shooting until August, September. I've been a little ahead of the curve with these last few because of the ease of scheduling that comes with the casts being mostly my kids. So I've been able to get stuff done quicker and have more time to edit. But also that was by necessity out of, I was shooting stuff while I was editing something else. So really, I haven't been able to really get into the editing of this until I finished the holiday special, which realistically wasn't until mid-October. And now I'm really in the thick of editing. Day the Earth abruptly almost ended. But going forward, I don't know what I'll realistically be able to pull off. Because if this stupid pandemic keeps coming waves like this, and I don't feel safe shooting a movie with a bunch of people I don't live with to avoid getting anybody sick, then I don't know what my options are other than, what, more Phantom Lake kids? And the question becomes this. After... Three movies, a holiday special, and of course the prequel, Danny Johnson Saves the World. Do you guys want more Phantom like Kids? I love the characters. I really do. I really, really love the characters. And it's been really fun to, in essence, create a trilogy that if you watch them all together, it's going to be fun because they all build on each other. They're running gags that go through the whole thing, which I've never done before in multiple movies. Obviously, there are some running gags that go through all the movies, like the flashlight thing and Basement Jesus and all that. But I've never in the past been able to do like this, where from one movie to the next, it's clearly a sequel where you kind of skip over some of the basics of introducing characters and and some of the backstory, right? And up till now, I've made a point to try and make every one of my movies stand alone so you could see any one of them and not really be lost. Well, with these Phantom like Kids movies, doing these three back-to-back-to-back, I have felt freer to just link them all together and be like, you know what, at this point, this is movie number 15, 16, and 17. It's probably okay to be less accommodating to those who are just coming into this. These ones are made for people who've seen them all. These ones are made for myself and my kids. I mean, it's really kind of interesting. I had a a realization that these movies serve as like weird home movies for the kids and I, because I'm sort of preserving them at certain ages. And it's really fun to watch Danny johnson saves the world and you see like little david who plays butch was four when we made that he's tiny he's the cutest little thing right and he's still got the little coonskin cap and then you see him now and he's he's almost 12 and he's obviously not tiny anymore i mean he's actually quite tall for his age and he's basically shaped like i was at that age which is part of the reason i i love the butch character so much is i kind of think of him as like a snarky weird version of me at that age with a magic hat which i did not have unfortunately. But it's it's really fun to sort of watch the kids grow up in the Mimiverse. And, and I realized that I am running out of time to make movies with them, at least as kids like this. So given the circumstances in the world right now with the safety or lack thereof of filming movies with people you don't live with, it sort of felt like a weird opportunity to take advantage of that and make movies with them. And so it's kind of fun to capture these moments with them, but then also to share that time with them and be with them and around them and, and just create something fun during this really difficult time, it's it's been a nice escape. And I think when you can't really spend your summers as a kid going off and doing lots of vacations because travel is difficult because of the status of the worldwide virus that's spreading everywhere, at least we're keeping their vacations interesting by running around in the woods being attacked by giant creatures, right? <laughs> at least... That's what I tell myself. It's funny. I had a discussion recently with the kids where I was talking about how in the future, a lot of their friends, when they're in like college or in their 20s or whatever, they're talking about their childhoods. A lot of their friends are going to tell a lot of stories that are somewhat similar. We went to Disneyland. We took a trip to my grandma's. We went to Italy every year or whatever. I said, the best thing, though, is that when it comes to you guys, all your stories will be unique because you're going to be like, oh, yeah, you may have gone to Italy which sounds amazing. I mean, I'm not going to begrudge anyone who gets to do that. They're like, oh, yeah. Well, this one time, we went to this drive-in in in Toledo, and my folks didn't actually know the drive-in owner, but they met them at this convention, and they said, we want to show your movies at our drive-in, which is actually in our backyard. We own a house in the middle of a cornfield, and we built a drive-in called the Field of Dreams Drive-In. Look it up. It's a real thing. And we'd love to have you come out and show a movie and be there. Now, we went to this thing, and we all went, and these super nice people, who we really didn't know, let us stay in their house. They fed us homemade blueberry pancakes. They changed one of their barns into a game room, which people can come into and like play video games and pool and stuff at the drive-in. The older kids at the time, this is a few years ago, the older kids like Elliot and Michael and Liz, and they slept in the game room. They just had kind of like a cool little game night party and the little kids slept in the house, Steph and I and the little kids were in a, another room and they just took us in and were the nicest people we've ever met. <laughs> and they just took care of us and they showed the movie and, and that was it. That's the kind of weird ass adventures we've had. <laughs> and there's a bunch more of them. And so I told them, I was like, look, this is the thing that's going to be interesting. Sure, we don't have a lake house. Sure, we don't go to Disneyland because we can't afford it. I'll be honest, we just can't. But my kids have a lot of really interesting and fun stories that makes their childhood a little bit different, but also quite exciting. And I've never gotten any kind of complaints about it, right? Right. The kids are never like, why don't we go to Disneyland? They're like, are we going to Blobfest again? I mean, that's the kind of thing that's been really fun and cool about this last couple years. Under the cloud of every horrible thing happening in the world, it's been fun to be able to make movies with the kids. And so I started talking about this right here because I'm not sure what to make next. I have a list of ideas, but I'm feeling a certain level of... Confusion about what exactly I can make next. I don't know what I can actually pull off, like what level of risk is acceptable to me or to the people who want to come in and work with me. I would love to get back to doing big budget, (laughs) big budget stuff like the giant spider, right? Big things, even like the Beast Walks Among Us, which, if you really think about it, there's a lot of people in that movie. There are a lot of locations in that movie. And that was kind of a bigger thing. The story is a little smaller, but it it really touches on a lot of the Mimiverse. And there's so many people in it. It's one of the biggest casts we've ever had. The giant spider is still the biggest with all the extras and all that stuff. But this was up there. In fact, this might be second. So part of me wants to get back to that. I mean, it'd be nice to be able to get back to that and seeing people and hanging out with people and having fun and making art. But at the same time, it's just like, I don't know if it's realistic yet, because of the way things are going, which is very frustrating because I would love to actually get moving on something new, but at the same time, this movie that we did make that I'm currently editing has been taking a lot of time and energy to get to where I want it to be. The final scene of the movie is one of the longest I've ever written. I always feel like sometimes is that the climaxes of my movies are too short, and so I wanted to do something big. When you see it, you'll know what I mean. I want to do something longer and bigger and more involved. Well, the problem is is that, it's not really a problem, but it's an issue I'm grappling with right now, is that it's a lot of special effects. And when you do special effects, you can only get so much done in a given night. Normally, I can usually rip through, say, a page of a script, maybe even more depending on how much action is involved and the length of some of the lines. A page, page and a half, like, in a single night. So that means in a normal work week, five days a week, I can get five to seven pages edited. And that's everything from edit, audio, music, special effects, whatever. But because of the sheer number of special effects that's going into this damn movie, (laughs) which I'm not complaining because it's turning out exactly the way I wanted it to. But instead of being able to do a page and a half a night... Like, last night, I got three shots done. Three shots. Six and a half seconds of video. Not audio, just video. Six and a half seconds. Normally, like I said, I can do a page, page, and a half. I'm talking, like, last night I got a sentence from one page done. And even that, I have to watch what I ended up with tonight, after I finished this, and go back and refine it and make it better cuz special effects man you got to you got to put it in there and every time i i rewatch this section over and over again every single night i notice new things that need to be fixed and so it's just it's it's very time consuming and when i look at how much i still have left to edit i feel like i'm way behind but i'm almost done with this last scene which is very big and kind of long I mean it's 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 actually a long scene in the script too there's a lot that happens and really we ended up breaking into three chunks the middle chunk being the biggest and most special effects heavy and it just it takes time once I finish this section what's left? beyond like one more scene which has a few special effects is not as time consuming and i'll get back to the pace i'm normally able to keep and so i should be able to get it done but i don't think realistically i'll have this movie edited until april like beginning of april where i'll be like yes the movie's done Which is crazy because we started shooting it in May of 21, and this is probably one of the hardest movies I've ever had to edit as far as the sheer number of special effects. It's a lot. And I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it kind of feels like I don't have as much done as I really do because I got like 45 minutes of the movie done, which means there's probably only maybe 20, 25 minutes left. And some of the stuff that I don't have done, there's, like, a scene that just needs music, which I don't know why I haven't finished it. I think it's because I finally did start moving into this final scene, and it's just, it's it's so involved, I want to make sure that that one's complete. You know, I want to make sure that I don't need to reshoot any special effects or anything like that. I just want to get this big thing done. Climb the biggest mountain, because all the little ones from that point forward won't seem so bad. So there's, like, stuff like that, where there's, like, a scene that still needs music. There's a There's a scene that I know has about a page left of just dialogue, that as soon as I started filming this stuff that I'm editing now, I started editing it. Also, there was a time there when I had to finish off the holiday special that I really didn't touch this for probably three or four weeks. And then I was finally able to do some traveling, and I did events, and so it was like it kind of got put on the back burner. And this is why the video game ended up on the back, back, back burner, is because things had to be shifted around so I could get the holiday special out when I wanted to get it out. And then once I finally finished that, this is all I've been working on. But then there's other stuff you have to do. I still have to run this movie-making business. I still got to do all the accounting. I have to do taxes. I have to do all this stuff. So I keep busy. You know, and then there was all the stuff that was involved with actually releasing the movie. So everyone got their DVDs and their Blu-rays and their holiday special stuff and their swag. And then there was the mystery boxes and, the you know, just a lot of stuff. And then the holidays came and I took most of the week off, which was actually kind of nice. I'm glad I took that weekend between Christmas and New Year's off. I know you, if you've listened to this, know that I don't really take a lot of vacation. So it was kind of nice to just be like, no, I'm going to take a vacation. That's part of the reason why this um, Mimiverse Monthly is, is a little bit late, but I kind of do that every year because I try to take some downtime, spend some time with the family, just watching cheesy movies and having a good time and relaxing and enjoying the holidays when everyone's around and nothing's going on. And the Holidays 21 were much better than the Holidays 20 because we had a small gathering. And by small, I mean we had my mom and Steph's mom over, which we didn't see them around Christmas 2020. So it was kind of nice to have a semi-normal Christmas again. I mean, there's still paranoia there, but we were all smart and, and we kept our bubbles small and we're we're okay. As far as we know, absolutely no one has gotten COVID from any of our festivities. And it's been... 10 days since Christmas or whatever. So I think we're good. So yeah, I am busy right now with the editing of the day the earth abruptly almost ended. I'm considering what I want to do and what I can do next, but I have not made any decisions yet. And honestly, it's a little premature. I talked a little bit about this in previous episodes where I don't necessarily want to just make things for the sake of making things or force myself too much to like write if I'm not feeling it. And I don't always feel it, but it's like, I need at least a a small sliver of inspiration and then to follow that right now i'm just i don't have that i'm too focused on finally letting the holiday special rest which i'm definitely at that point but then also i'm so focused on getting this one giant scene in this new movie done and once i get that done i can finally relax we got everything else we need other than those couple special effects but then again that's on me i just gotta go like set up my little green screen and shoot it no big deal so i'll get to it it'll happen just not yet But so if I can just put a lid on this giant scene and take care of my taxes and all that stuff for the year, yay corporate taxes, then I'll start genuinely thinking about what to do next. But still, I just don't know what's realistic right now. And I almost feel like I have to have like two or three different plans, which makes me think I should just make like an anthology movie, which is kind of one of those things that I've been thinking about lately. Wouldn't a mimiverse anthology movie be kind of fun? I feel like I could do stuff. Because it'd be several sort of smaller projects where I could do like another little family kids thing or just a small thing where it's just like Butch and Chip. I could do like a small Canoe Cops thing where it's just Greg, who plays Sven now, and Mike, and maybe a small contingent of people. Maybe the pandemic will be much better come summer and then we can do it, right? See, that's the thing. I just don't know. And it's driving me a little nuts. So all of that said, having spent all this time talking about this, just know that I'm staying busy working on this new movie. It will be released this year at some point. Wouldn't it be awesome if numbers got so low that we could actually hold an in-theater premiere again? Man, I, I don't even know if I'd know what that's like at this point, because it's been so freaking long. 2019, April 2019. And so it would be great to get back to that. But again, it's all just going to be based on how things are going. I don't know. I'm not, I just, I can't make any promises, which is actually kind of bothering me a little bit because one of the things that always helped motivate me, and and, and it's been a huge motivating factor in why the Mimiverse does a movie a year, is that I've held myself to certain deadlines. And a lot of those deadlines are always like, we got to do a premiere in the spring. I purposely moved some of those premieres into the fall when we were doing the musical, but only because there was other stuff going on, right? But I always set these deadlines. And having that deadline always motivated me. Well, now it's like, does it matter if I release a movie in May or June or July if it's just going to be put on Vimeo and people are just going to watch it whenever they want to? I mean, it gets a little weird and it becomes a little less motivating because it's like, well, I'll get to it, you know? I know those deadlines before were quite arbitrary and I made them up, but... Still, I mean, it's a little strange to not have those anymore. And so it's been a little demoralizing. Also, not being able to enjoy these movies with all of us experiencing it at the same time and the fans and friends and, you know, really being able to enjoy them in the way that I've always loved to has been rough the last couple of years. You know, it will be three years since we did one of these premieres. I did some screenings last year. I was able to eke some out before things got bad again. And that's been really nice and really fun. And they felt good, but it's not the same. And so it's hard to stay motivated sometimes. I want to keep making movies. It's all I want to do. And now it's just a matter of trying to stay afloat, trying to stay alive. Which is the perfect segue into ways that you, listening, can help keep the movies alive. And that would be buy stuff. We got lots of stuff to buy. We got collectibles. We got the entire catalog is now available again on DVD. So if you've been collecting the DVDs over the years, but were wondering when in hell we were going to finally replenish the supply of, say, Attack of the Moon Zombies, it's been replenished. It's back. So you should consider picking them up. And I offer a special deal where you can buy an entire set, 17 DVDs for just 100 bucks. Which is a lot cheaper than buying them individually. But maybe you're one of those people that has everything but maybe like Terror from Beneath the Earth. Well, now you can get that one too. So check out SaintEuphoria.com in the merchandise section. Pick up what you need. Or the best way, the absolute best way you can support the Memiverse is by contributing to whatever it is we're making right now, which right now is... The family kids and the day the earth abruptly almost ended. Just because I finished filming the thing and I'm in the editing phase doesn't mean we still don't need money coming in for it. There's a lot of stuff that still needs to be done, including getting DVDs and Blu-rays made and printing and, and posters and, and just everything. And you can get your name in the credits. Who doesn't want your name in the credits? How cool is that? Look, I'll tell you right now, I'm a guy who makes movies. And I have seen my name in the credits of quite a few movies in a lot of very cool places, on a lot of different movie screens, on drive-in screens. And I'll tell you right now, when I see that, it's still magical after all these years. That said, you should consider contributing and get your name up on that screen. Ask anybody who has contributed to these movies. It doesn't cost you very much. For just $20, you can get your name in a movie and keep this poor emaciated. No, I'm not emaciated. I played Santa Claus. I am not emaciated. This poor, starving artist. You can keep his vision of a world in which cheesy monster movies of the 50s and 60s never died alive, and all for just the price of a quarter a day. Is that a quarter a day? 50 cents a day? I don't know. I'd have to do the the math, but it's probably not much if you think about it in that term, right? Because it's only 20 bucks if you just want to see your name. 10 more for the DVD, 20 more for that Blu-ray. You can get your whole family if you want. I'm just saying. Contribute to the movies. To the one we're making. To whichever one I may announce in the coming days. Contribute. Go to St.Euphoria.com. Look up The Day the Earth Abruptly Almost Ended, and you can contribute right there. There are a lot of places on there where I'm always like, hey, you should contribute. Not that hard to find. Do it. You won't be sorry. Especially if you like these movies enough to listen to my podcast. Okay. That's enough of me being a conspiracy-theoried-out weirdo talking about special effects and how much I'm doing making this movie and blah, 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 blah. I know the real reason you're here is to listen to the next edition of An Oral History of the Mimiverse. So I'm going to stop yapping and, I guess, start yapping about the history of how I got to where I am now and how these movies came to be. Contribute, say and then listen to this. The latest edition of An Oral History of the Mimiverse. Welcome back to An Oral History of the Mimiverse. Last month, I discussed Shadow Creek Studios and how we had released It Came from Another World. And we had gone through pre-production of Cavewomen on Mars. And this month, I want to get into some of what happened while we were shooting it. We had our cast in place, we had our costumes, we had our locations set up. The last thing I talked about was when we were building sets for the rocket scenes in the beginning of the movie and a lot of the Captain Jackson scenes. My father-in-law passed away and how I more or less failed my wife in that I wasn't there for her when I should have been, which if you want to hear me rehash that, go ahead and go back to the last episode, but it's rough for me to talk about too much, so we're just going to move on. We're basically past that. And now we're knee-deep in shooting cave women on Mars. Shooting cave women on Mars was really kind of weird. First off, working for Braun Media Group, the Shadow Creek Studios, and we kept. Hiring people, it was me and Josh and Brittany Hughes who did the costumes for k Women, and we started shooting. We were shooting a lot of stuff with Dan Shervin, who just came aboard, having auditioned for Lieutenant Elliot. And we were shooting at the Lundell backyard, which is the Lundells were the nice couple who who let us shoot a lot of the movies in their backyard with their acre of wooded land. Everything was going pretty swimmingly at first. Everyone seemed to be having a good time having fun. It's always exciting when you start a new project. And everyone's jazzed to be there. Everyone's ready and willing and just they're all in. That's never how they end. But that's how they always start. People are just, yeah, new project. But some of these projects, some of these things can just be a slog. And so sometimes it gets harder to do as you keep going on. But this was the beginning. So everyone was in it. We were ready to go. I don't remember exactly what we started with. I'm pretty sure we started with the interior scenes in the rocket, where we were just sort of shooting all of the, the landing scene, like the opening scene, basically, and the scenes with Josh talking to the computer and all that. Those went really well, but then again, that was just, they were small, right? It was just Josh and I who had worked together quite a bit. Dan Shervin, who's just super easy to get along with and really fit in immediately. And then Brittany Hughes, who was super easy to work with. She was on book and I'd shoot it and direct it. We kind of started small with just the stuff with Dan and Josh. I remember that. I don't remember the order in which we did them, but we did all that stuff. And then we opened it up for the rest of the cast. Just so that we weren't jumping around too much and no one ended up having too much of a break where you shoot some stuff and then wait two months before you shoot anything else. I had structured it that way. So we were shooting the interior stuff, but also this is one of my favorite stories of anything that ever happened when we were shooting a movie just because it was so funny and so weird. Where the Shadow Creek Studios building was, was actually this office suite in this industrial strip mall. I don't know if that's a thing, but it's like a little industrial building with a bunch of offices. It almost looks like a strip mall, right? And we we just had one of them. When we had some warehouse space. Now, right next to it, they were rebuilding Highway 610 up in an area of Minnesota called Maple Grove, which I mentioned before, which was where Tim Braun had lived and, and opened Shadow Creek Studios. They were rebuilding Highway 610, which is just sort of like a, it's sort of a bypass through the Twin Cities, and they were rebuilding the whole thing, and so they had dug up a whole bunch of stuff. Well, all the dirt they had dug up, they deposited in these giant man-made hills, basically, right behind the parking lot of where the building was. And that was there when I started, and it instantly, because I knew I wanted to make cave on Mars, I was like, I can shoot something up on there, and it looks kind of like Mars, right? It's just dirt. There's these sort of open dirt hills. And of course, we didn't have any permits, because we figured if we just go up there and no one can see us, we'll be fine. No one will ever know. And there were only a few scenes that had to be shot up there. We figured we could do it all in a day or two. So we were shooting the couple scenes we needed up there, And mostly we were so far back from the road, you really couldn't see us at all. We couldn't see the road. So it was kind of perfect, right? As long as we could get up there and no one saw us going up there. And they were high. You had to climb up there. As long as we did that, no one would know. It's Minnesota Department of Transportation property. But of course, like I said, we didn't ask. We didn't get permits. We're idiots. Or I am, I guess. (laughs) than anything else. But I didn't get any permits. But I was like, we can shoot up there. It's fine. We're just screwing around up there. No one's going to know. So we shot up there, I think it was two or three days. On the last day we shot there, we were shooting the scene where Shervin's just sitting, waiting after he's seen the forest, and the captain says, just wait there until I get there. And so we're shooting all that stuff. So I'm down farther because I'm shooting as he comes down the hill. I'm close enough to the road that you can see me, right? And you can kind of see Dan from the road. So we're up there shooting, and a cop shows up, (laughs) and I'm like, oh, shit. And Brittany's like, uh, we're screwed. I'm like, no, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And he kind of stops and he's like, hey, what's going on? So I was like, leave this to me. So I went down and I was like, hey, how's it going? And he's like, what's going on? What you doing? I'm like, uh, we're just shooting a little independent film here. And I went through the spiel of what it's about. It's, a, it's sort of a cheesy monster movie. Some black and white. This is Mars. And then the rest of it we're going to shoot in someone's backyard. But I needed some Martian looking terrain, you know? And the guy sort of like, Looked me up and down and kind of stared at me and didn't really react. I can still play the entire thing in my mind exactly how it went. Because it was, you know, it was two cops. And this was the partner, I guess, in the passenger seat. I was like, yeah, so, you know, I'm making this movie. And I just, and I sort of looked at him. There's a beat. 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 And he says, oh, cool. Okay. Well, just be careful. Okay. All right. Thanks. And he drove away. I was like, oh my god, that could have gone one of two ways, and it definitely went the way we wanted to, but it was really funny because he just sort of stared at me like processing all this and was like, oh, cool, okay, be careful, have fun, (laughs) all right, and so I was like, okay, let's shoot this thing, get the hell out of here, it made me laugh because I was like, all right, we're good, the cops say it's okay, but maybe someone else will come by and they'll be like, get off this damn thing, you don't have permits, so we got it done really fast and got out of there, and that was the last time we needed it. But it was still, it just made me laugh. So early on, it was really fun. We were having a good time, and I really like working with Dan. It was some new blood that it needed. Nothing against Josh, but working with Dan Shervin is always fun, except when he won't shut up. Which sounds like I'm being mean, but no, he just, he likes to talk, especially between takes, and... As this shoot dragged on, that became a little problematic because he just, he likes to make people laugh and he's a funny guy. But sometimes it's like, man, you're pulling everybody out of this between takes and then we gotta get back into it. And Brooke Lemke, who played Ina, was like the giggliest person. She was super easy to make laugh and Dan just jumped on that. He loved the fact that he could make her laugh. And so she would giggle a lot. Anyway, so we finished up all that stuff and finally we get into the part where we're actually working with the cave women and that started out really nice we were working on business hours though because we were working for shadow creek studios and we didn't want to ask anyone to work too much into the night because we needed mostly days there were some nights obviously we shot at night then but it was a lot of weekends and some weekdays if it worked out what was really weird is it went really pretty well but somewhere around the halfway point everyone started to get kind of grumpy not me so much, honestly. I was, I was just like, no, let's do this, let's do this. But some of the actors started to get a little cranky. And we had a few days where people were just in bad moods. We had a few days where like the actors were like separating from each other and just sitting around and like grousing. I was like, what is going on? Why is everybody so freaking crabby? What is happening? Here's the other thing is that because we were shooting quote unquote normal hours, a lot of them wanted to work earlier in the day. I'm not a morning person. And so there were times when I said, look, if you guys want to start shooting at nine o'clock, which is what they want to do, like eight or nine o'clock in the morning, well, if you guys want to start shooting at that time, you're going to have to come super early to do hair and makeup. And they were like, that's fine. We don't mind getting here earlier and doing hair and makeup and, and getting dressed and all that. We don't mind. They were getting there at like 6 a.m., 5.30, 6 a.m. I'm like, I'm not getting here at 6 a.m. just to basically sit around and wait for you guys to be ready. Partially because I just, I can't get up that early, and there's no reason for, like, Josh and I to be here while you guys do your hair, right? We're a small operation here, and as much as I'd love to just go hang out with people, not everyone needed to be on set at 5.30 in the morning. But the extensive time it took to do hair and get particularly, like, the evil cave women in costume... It took time, so they had to be there early. So Josh and I would show up later. I don't think that went over too well with some of them. I think a couple of them felt that I should be there for everything. I was like, oh. then can we do it a little later? I mean, can we start at nine and then shoot at 11? But they wanted to get it all done. Like, well, we want to do it before it gets hot. It's like, it's always hot. It's the middle of summer. As soon as it's 10 a.m., it's hot. We're not getting much done before that. Plus we're in the woods. It was actually a rather pleasant summer and we're in the woods. In the shade, it was never that hot. There were a couple days that were hot, and we more or less avoided them. I don't know if that actually was a part of the problem, but I was like, fine, we can do it. But I'm just, I'm not going to get here until 9 a.m. when you guys are ready. And often I'd show up at 9 o'clock, and they hadn't actually done everything. They're like, oh, how long have you been here? Oh, since 5.30. Why is it taking so long for you guys to do your hair and makeup and, and get your costumes on? What the hell? And so there was some tension there starting to bubble to the surface. Honestly, it wasn't that I was like, oh, what's taking you so long? Why should said hair? It was like, I knew they could get it done in two hours. The full cast, dressed, makeup, hair, two hours. So when those days they show up at 5.30 and we're even done at 9, there was some feet dragging going on. So I always got frustrated because it was like, how can you sort of drag your feet on getting ready but then simultaneously turn around and complain about how we got started late. Because that came up once or twice. And that was frustrating to me. It was like, you got here early. You guys were just sort of taking your time or what? I don't know what was going on. And there was some grumpiness amongst the people in the cast. And it was like, if I get here and you're not ready, fine. That's fine. It's not the end of the world. We'll get going when we get going. But if you're just sitting around chatting and not actually getting stuff done, you then can't get grumpy because we didn't get started on time. It's like it wasn't up to me. Even if I would have shown up at 530, there's literally nothing I can do to help anyone get dressed or do hair or makeup or any of that. I don't know how to do any of that. So something happened midway through the shoot, and it was nothing specific. It was just like the mood started to slowly creep downward in a lot of ways and everyone started being affected and i don't know if it was just because it took so long or people get sick of it i don't know like i said everyone was excited to get started about midway through the excitement dried up it kind of became a little cranky Sometimes, okay, people get it in their heads the idea that making a movie is going to be super fun and exciting throughout. A lot of what is involved in making movies is sitting around, doing nothing, and it's the hurry up and wait thing. You have to be ready at any moment, but you may only actually shoot for five minutes. Then you have to sit for half an hour while we do other stuff, getting ready for whatever else we're shooting. I tend to work very quickly but it can get monotonous, right? Because you're shooting the same thing over and over and over again from different angles and trying to get it right. It can get boring. I mean, that's what it comes down to. It can get boring. It really can. And I think my favorite people I work with are people who understand that and don't care or find ways to be entertained, and this was before cell phones, so it wasn't like people could just go on their cell phone for a half hour and it was no big deal, play, you know, solitaire or whatever. This was like you had to sit there and literally just stare off into space and maybe talk, but even then you can't talk usually because you have to be quiet if we're shooting something else. Anyway... It got less than fun about halfway through. I always felt like there was some sort of tension going on that I wasn't privy to. Which made me worry, of course, as a paranoid human being, that it was me that was the problem. And I know there was some argument. Alana Bloom, who played Orla, and I didn't always get along. There always seemed to be this weird butting of heads happening. And this was early on in my filmmaking career. And you have to remember, I'm working with a lot of people on this movie that I didn't know very well. And as a director, I would yell action, shoot it. If I liked what I got, I wouldn't say anything. We'd move on to the next thing. Somewhere while we were shooting the movie, we were shooting a scene. And I yelled action. They ran through it. I said, cut, we're done. And I started moving on. And Alana just goes, did you like that? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. She's like, well, but did you like it? I mean... Is there anything you want to change? And I was like, no, it's fine. And at this point, we're all getting cranky, even me, where it's just like, there's some weird tension on this set. And there's other things going on at Shadow Creek Studios at the same time, which was also creating tension between Josh and Brittany and I. And that is, suddenly we're not really getting paid on time. That's creating issues, okay? And on top of this, I didn't mention is during this time, we hired Mike Mason to join Shadow Creek Studios to be a sales guy. That didn't go well. He was never happy. Tim was never happy with his performance. And then when we stopped getting paid, which happened, we just weren't getting paid. There was no money coming in. And if there was, we weren't getting paychecks. But I was so blinded by the fact that it was like, no, 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 it's going to work out. We just have to finish this movie. I was obsessed. i got to finish Cave Woman on Mars. It'll be good. Everything will work out. We'll get all our back pay. No big deal. Don't worry about it. It's good. Don't worry about it. It's good. Well, <laughs> we'll get into that more. Anyway, so there's a bunch of tension going on here, right? Josh is cranky, I'm cranky, Brittany's not getting paid. There's all this stuff, right? And Tim's trying to string us all along. And this is funny. So we're not getting paid during this time, but we're allowed to make this movie. You know, everything's supposedly paid for, even though Josh and I are dipping into our pockets quite a bit to buy stuff. You know, we're not getting paid, but in the back of my head, I'm like, yeah, but I'm doing this for a living, right? Even though I'm not, I'm not living because I'm not getting paid. And so Tim was always like, oh, in two weeks, we're waiting on some payments, in two weeks, we'll get it. Well, two weeks became four weeks, became six weeks, became two months. So we are tense because we're working for this company that's not paying us. Like, our benefits aren't being paid. So, like, someone had to go to the doctor and suddenly we're getting a bill for it. I and mean, it was like all this stuff, right, that's going on. Well, I'm just focused on, I got to shoot this movie. I got to get it made especially back then, I was so obsessed. I'm still pretty obsessed, but back then I was very obsessed. I gotta make this movie. So the one day that really stood out to me was that day when when I yelled cut and Alana's like, so did you like that? And I was like, yeah, it's fine, moving on. She's like, well, what'd you like about it? And I'm like, I like the performances. And she's like, but you didn't say anything. And I'm like, do I have to? And we got a little crabby at each other. I'm like, "Do I have to tell you? Like, that's great. That isn't. Do this different. Do this different." Yeah, I was like, "Would you prefer I hold your hand through all this?" She's like, "Well, I just feel like we never get any feedback." And I'm like, "Put it this way: the way I see things, if I don't like it, I'll tell you not to do it. If I do, I trust you. You're the actor, and I like what you're doing." I'll just leave it at that. If it's not fitting or it doesn't jibe with previous takes or whatever, I'll tell you. But if you're doing it right, I'm not going to constantly pat you on the back. She didn't like the answer. She's like, well, I just, I I feel like we never get any feedback and I would really like some feedback. I'm like, okay, I'll try to give some feedback. That was a good take. And honestly, if you know me, uh, if I start getting grumpy, I get very sarcastic and kind of bitchy. (laughs) For lack of a better term. And I was just like, okay, well, that was a good take. Did you feel good about it? I liked it. Moving on. And it was kind of tense from that point forward. Luckily, we were mostly done, and the rest of the shoot kind of went like that. There were a couple days that were still fun. I mean, it was weird. I I felt like I I was always sort of fighting with Alana, or at least there was always sort of a weird tension there in that she didn't like the way I directed, and... I could feel that from her, which made me kind of resentful. I don't know. It just, it was always kind of like she rubbed me the wrong way and I rubbed her wrong way a couple of times. We kept it professional, but from that point forward, I felt like she kind of checked out because it was like, I didn't understand what she needed. Did she need me to kiss her butt constantly? Like, oh, that was so great. Do that again. But it was like, I said very early on, it's just like, look, I'm just, I'm going to call action. And, and if I like what you're doing, we'll just move on. I will talk to you if I don't like it. And I feel like she needed more or something. But there was always kind of this weird tension after that. It was never that way with Rachel. Rachel always gets it. And that's why I still like working with Rachel. She always has always got it. Emily was the same way. Emily is very easy to work with. She came in, did her thing. She was fun. She left. I mean, that was kind of the end of it. And one time, Michael came in, and and he was half naked in one of them, and then he was in that damn monkey costume in the other one, which is funny that that monkey costume, the stupid Ajo costume, was just off-the-shelf monkey costume that Josh added some horns to and then spray-painted whitish. That thing was cheap. We didn't spend a lot of money on it. I think you can tell that. And Michael, being like the skinniest dude ever, didn't fill it out, so it's all like floppy on him. <laughs> And the one day we shot that, actually, it was funny because it kept popping open in the back because it's just cheap. And so Brittany actually sewed him into it to keep it closed in the back. And it was so hot the day we shot that. It was in the high 80s and kind of sticky. And I remember while we were shooting that scene, like, you know, he'd done a bunch of takes and I went over to him and started yelling through the mask, are you okay? Can you do more? You want to take a break? And He's like, no, I'm okay. But what was funny is like, even through that rubbery plasticky costume i could feel heat radiating through and off of him i mean it was already like high 80s with humidity so it was in the 90s heated next, and i could just feel it like being next to him raised the temperature five more degrees and michael just being michael has always been a trooper when it comes to these damn costumes he knows his limits He knows when he needs a break and he knows I will always give him one if he needs it to anyone in a costume because that shit you just don't screw around with. They're hot. They're claustrophobic. They just, you don't mess with it. If someone needs a break, you take it off. You take a break. But that was, that was the other memorable thing was him being sewn into that costume just so we could actually shoot the damn scene. The other one too, which was kind of funny is, so we had this weird little blow up, but after that, you know, it was tense, but then slowly, as we got closer and closer to the end, the tension started to dissipate, probably because we all knew it was almost over. One of the things that we always found hilarious was, at the end of Caveman on Mars, Aina and Hagra have that big fight with their staffs, and Dan and Josh really wanted to choreograph something cool. So we had Brooke and Rachel come down to the Shadow Creek Studios, and we, we were going to choreograph something out really cool. So they came down and workout clothes, and we had the staffs, and we uh, went into the the warehouse where there's open space, and we worked out the whole fight. And we thought it was the coolest thing, and we were like, yeah, let's do this. It's going to be awesome. And then we filmed it, and it's the worst damn fight scene I've ever put on camera, ever. It is so slow. It is so fake. Here's the funny thing is like the final version is edited to be as fast as I could make it without actually speeding up the camera, which would have looked really bad. Believe me, I tried. It just didn't look good. I had to cut out stuff just to make it as exciting as it is. I kind of weirdly love it because it is so awful. It's so cheeseball and it's so stupid and I love it. I like the choreography we all came up with, but I think in our heads, Josh and Dan and, and I really thought it was going to be something kick-ass. And then when you finally see it, it's like, eh, okay, sure, we tried. <laughs> and that's, that's what you end up with. So finally, we're shooting the damn movie. And I got to say one more thing, and this actually works into the next episode because I'm going to wrap it up here because the next things that happen from ending Cave Women on Mars... And then going into, like, terror from beneath the Earth is a very, um, well, interesting is the only thing I can say. A very strange time. And it all comes crashing down as Caveman on Mars wraps up. One more story to go to Steph. So, sidebar here. Our son, Elliot, who you know, Danny Johnson, was born 13 months after Steph and I got married. So we got pregnant very quickly. That was by choice. She is a few years older than I am. And it was like, well, we really can't wait. Because, you know, you only have a a window that's so big and you got to take advantage of that. So we, we jumped into it and had Elliot right away. Well, after Elliot was born, Liz got sick. You guys know that story a little bit from earlier episodes. We tried to have more kids at the time and we wanted them. But we had issues. We had some troubles, some pretty... Traumatic ones, which really were not great. I don't want to go into detail about that because it was quite harrowing and very sad. And let's just say there's a reason then we decided, hey, why don't we adopt? After all the trouble we had and terrible outcomes, we adopted Daniel in 2006. So in 2007, while we were shooting k Women on Mars, Steph got pregnant again. But because we had so much trouble since Elliot was born... We didn't want to tell anybody because it always felt like whenever we would tell people, that's when everything would go wrong. And so we kept it to ourselves. Steph was very paranoid throughout this, understandably. And so was I. So we kept it to ourselves. Now, it was always written into the script that she would play the high priestess. And she was starting to show about the time we were to shoot her stuff. I had always envisioned the high priestess was just like so powerful and weird and ancient and and just been a part of this thing. Because I had this whole thing worked out with the original Cave on Mars story that it would actually involve Professor Jackson in the future, going back to the past. Remember I talked about the original idea was Cave from the future? This was an idea from that, how that might work. He would go back in the past, and, and he and Julianne St. Marie would have these two daughters that would become the beginnings of the two tribes, and there'd be the schism between them, and that would be why they were warring. Anyway, so it was always thought that the, the high priestess was, was sort of like this guru-type person who would just sit and meditate and, and be in touch with the, the flux of the universe or whatever the hell. And so I thought it'd be cool if her costume basically was part of the set like she just like whatever she was wearing she was literally the actual hut she was in was her costume which i just thought was kind of cool but it ended up working out as a side thing because as we were trying to hide steph's pregnancy and she was showing her costume then worked out to hide it here's where the issue came in now steph is very stressed about this We're experiencing financial difficulties at the time because of the fact that I'm not getting paid and she wasn't working because I had this great job that was supposed to pay me all this money and the money wasn't coming in and suddenly we're pregnant and now she's thinking about how I'm going to have to go back to work and just all these things, right? Plus she has, as she called it, pregnancy brain. She was having trouble just like memorizing the script and the original scene for the High Priestess was like eight pages long, which is stupid. It's really long edited, that would have come out to like seven and a half minutes, eight minutes, which is too long. It's just too long. And it was just conversation between her and Dan. She was just having the roughest time trying to memorize all this crap dialogue. And she just couldn't do it. She was just struggling with it. She's like, I just, I'm trying. I'm so worried because we got, Elliot's a little kid. Dan, who's only like, at the time, was like a year old. I'm trying to do all this stuff. I'm pregnant, but I'm worried about that. And I can't think straight. And I'm always sick. And I just, I feel like crap. I can't do this. And I was like, no, look, I got an idea. You don't have to memorize anything. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm going to change it. You don't actually speak. You simply think. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like... You're telepathic. So all you have to do is make thinking faces at Shervin, and I will overdub your thoughts. She's like, really? I'm like, yeah, I'll just, I'll rewrite it. No big deal. So I rewrote the scene to make her telepathic, but I didn't change the actual dialogue. I just added some stuff of like him, like, how are you in my head, right? And that was fine. That was what works. So that's what we filmed was that scene. Funny enough, though, when I actually got down to the point where I started editing it, I edited the whole scene and actually if you own one of the original Shadow Creek Studios Cavemen on Mars DVDs, this original version is on there as like a deleted scene. I edited it exactly as I had written it and it was so long and so pointless and so boring and it was all just exposition on stuff that did not matter. I was like, oh God, this is really not great. I had sort of a moment during the editing of that where I was like, you know what? Wait a minute. I bet you I could rewrite this, make it shorter, and still use Dan's dialogue, and then just simply replace Steph's dialogue to make it much more straightforward. So I did. (laughs) The scene that takes place sort of in the middle of where she's explaining things, and we never actually hear the explanation on screen, was supposed to come after that scene with the High Priestess. I cut it in half so it's like a little chunk of just like hey uh, I'm the high priestess and I need to tell you some stuff. And then it cuts back to Josh in the ship. And that cuts back and he's like, so that's why they don't get along. And then she's like, yes. So I ended up cutting it down to two short scenes, pulling out a bunch of dialogue. Steph had to re-record some dialogue. But again, it's all thought. So it was fate that it worked out. It was fate that Steph was pregnant and wasn't feeling well. And she was just really busy. And she had all this trouble memorizing lines and all this stuff because she was definitely in that part of the pregnancy where everything made her sick. So it was weirdly worked out. Not that I look back and I'm like, I'm glad she felt like crap. No, I mean, to a certain extent, I am. Not that she felt like crap, but that the reason she felt like crap, because we ended up with Alice. But that's not the conversation here. It just worked out that, in the end, her being pregnant ended up helping. Because then I made her telepathic, which meant that I could rewrite the dialogue without reshooting anything later. So synchronicity or something i don't know so that was that was interesting but i will say this i mentioned that her costume was going to be part of the set steph hated that costume i mean she's pregnant and emotional understandably and i'm not saying this in like oh so emotional and hormonal when she was pregnant she had every right to be emotional she hated the costume she's like Okay, so here I am, as she would say, your big fat pregnant wife. Do I get to wear like a sexy little cat suit or a leather thing or a cute dress? No, I'm a freaking giant house. I'm literally the hut. I am Priestess the hut. She still makes that joke to this day. She hates Priestess the hut, which of course is an awesome Star Wars reference. You know, give her extra kudos for that. But she really, really. Did not like that outfit, and again, she has every right not to. It's not exactly flattering. I mean, she's literally a house. She is literally the hut, not as in Jabba the Hut, but a hut, an actual hut. So, ugh, yeah, I didn't win many points with her on that one. But in the end, the movie is almost okay. It's not one of my best, I don't think. It's weird because it's such a it was such a weird time in my life that I look back on that one differently because it was such a strange time. And there were so many bizarre things happening and uh, just the, the drama. I mean it was so much drama. I think I love the drama. That's probably what I'm missing the last couple of years. Not enough drama. And yet I don't want any of it anymore. I'm much older now, wiser. Drama sucks and I don't want to deal with it. So don't bring any. But anyway, so we finally wrapped up the shoot of Cave on Mars and what happens next, and this is this is the clickbait version, what happens next will shock you, and you'll find out next month. Thanks for listening. This has been an oral history of the mimiverse. Stephen D. Sullivan and St. Euphoria present Atomic Tales, stories of science, mystery, and excitement. This episode features the latest installment in our fantastic original series, Strange Invaders. Tonight, agents of the U.S. Science Bureau investigate a mysterious train wreck in Rattletrap. Join us now as we present another in our continuing series of... Atomic Tales! That'll wreck your day for sure. Agent 4
1: said, gazing at the shadowed railroad trestle and the half-dozen ruined cars lying in the sloping
0: ravine. Hey, Agent 3?
1: I nodded as the late afternoon sun cast long, dark shadows across the wreckage. The two-day-old crash site smelled of dry grass, machine oil, fractured timber, and a whole lot of dust. Lucky it was just a freight train or a lot more folks could have been killed. One gully in the entire region and this train dives into it. Observed Agent 8, Wild Bill Hayes, as he loped to the defile's edge. Nebraska is pretty flat, but here in the southwest near Colorado, you still find ravines and small canyons. Bill rubbed his backside. It'd been a bumpy ride from the little airport in Grand Island. Two people dead and two missing,
0: but we're here to look for someone who's dead before
1: the accident. Can't blame the railroad for being more concerned with their personnel than Dr. Hedison's corpse, I remarked. They don't know that body might hold the key to the country's secret battle against the giant bugs. Speaking of railroad agents... Agent 4 hooked his thumb toward a pair of men who'd parked next to our agency's Studebaker.
0: You're those government
1: types. A tall, dark-haired man in jeans and a khaki shirt called as he and a shorter, similarly-dressed blonde man ambled toward us. U.S. Science Bureau, I said, shaking hands. I'm Agent Suzanne. I'm in charge of this investigation, and these are Agents Alec and Bill. I'm Bellows, and this is Coffee, said the taller man. From the insurance company. Coffee laughed.
0: (laughs) A woman in charge? If that don't beat all.
1: Anything new, I asked, ignoring him. While I spoke with the insurance men, Agent Four, Alec Boom Boom Murphy, and Agent Eight searched for the best way to the gorge's bottom, were dressed in resilient blue-gray agents' jumpsuits for the occasion and brought along climbing equipment. Four toted his usual backpack of infernal devices as well. How's the hospitalized engineer, I asked. Bellows shrugged. He's babbling about bright lights coming at him, and then hearing war drums and screams when he woke at the top of the ravine. Delirious, then, I said. Though actually, the engineer's rantings intrigued me. Any reports of seeing lights in the sky or other strange occurrences? Not that I've heard, fellows replied. These timbers are rotted, Coffee announced,
0: dusting his hands off after a cursory exam of the scene. Clear case of the railroad neglecting to maintain this rattletrap trestle. Our company shouldn't have to pay for this, Agent 4 frowned. This girder looks partly melted. Take out a few of those and the whole structure would come down. Probably melted in the fire after the crash. Coffee responded. No
1: signs of fire here. Agent 8 put in. Sabotage? Bellows asked. We just need to review all the evidence, I replied, and we can't do that from up here. Coffee
0: blanched. You're not suggesting we go down there.
1: Bellows laughed. Bill? Alec, you figured out the best way down yet? I asked.
0: There's a wash over here that looks passable, Rocky.
1: Agent 4, Alec, indicated a spot ten yards away.
0: I rigged some safety lines.
1: And let's get to it. Daylight's wasting. Agent 8 shook his head as we descended.
0: When I transferred to the Reno office, I think Donna was hoping I'd bring home less dirty laundry.
1: I don't see why we need to trudge down here at all. Coffee complained, dusting off his work clothes when we reached the bottom. An unsettling silence filled the ravine. Broken timbers and twisted steel lay all around us, and the remains of the six-carriage train snaked up the side of the gorge like a kid's busted lionel set. The gully's air smelled more strongly of iron, fuel oil, and shattered lumber, along with the musky dampness. You science folks always packing heat on your investigations? Bellows asked as my fellow agents and I checked our sidearms. We like to be prepared. I replied.
0: Like the Boy Scouts.
1: Four added with a smile.
0: Might be coyotes or something down here.
1: Eight concluded. Coffee looked nervously up and down the defile. I didn't spot any coyotes or any sign of the steel coffin we'd ship Dr. Hedison's body in either. We're gonna have to check inside all these train cars, Rocky? Eight asked. I nodded. Searchers examined the cars for survivors. Bellows Bellows noted. Just what are you people looking for? Coffee asked suspiciously. Science stuff. Four replied. Hey Alec, give me a hand with this. Eight said. He pulled on the side door of a freight car resting at the bottom of the gorge, but it didn't budge. Sure thing. Four replied, grabbing hold.
0: You know, there's a better way to get this
1: open. As usual, Alec was aching to blow something up. There should be a door on the other side too, I commented. One that might not be stuck.
0: Is that thunder?
1: Coffee wondered, gazing at the sky above the ravine. I heard the noise, too, like distant drumming. No, it seems to be coming from... With a tortured groan and a shower of rust, the cargo door that eight and four were tugging on cracked open. Eight laughed. Hey, the door on the other side's open. Look out! I cried. Suddenly, the stuck door rolled back completely and out of the boxcar sprang a nightmare. The snake was at least... 30 feet long, thick as a beer barrel and covered with fist-sized ochre and brown scales. Its reptilian eyes glowed yellow-green in the canyon's semi-darkness. The air thundered with the drum-like sound from its rattling tail. The creature smelled like rotten meat. Agent 4 hit the deck, but the monster rattler's fangs tore open the leg of 8th Jumpsuit as it sprang. Bill screamed and fell hard into the side of the rail car, but he wasn't the enormous serpent's target. Coffee didn't even have time to cry out as the serpent's jaw clamped around his body. The chubby insurance man stiffened and died as the snake injected him with enough venom to kill twenty men. I put a pair of shots into the back of the rattler's head as it dropped Coffee's corpse, but the bullets didn't pierce the thing's scales. The enormous serpent whipped around in my direction. Between me and it, Bellows was scrambling up the side of the ravine trying to escape. Running prey makes an easy target. The giant rattler coiled and sprang, sinking its fangs deep once more. Ello's high-pitched wail echoed through the defile as the monster killed him. But his death bought the rest of us a few extra seconds. Alec, I called. When I lead it past, drop the engine on it. Right, Four replied, racing uphill to the wrecked locomotive well away from where Bill lay injured. Alec fished in his backpack for the right gear. Hey, Snake, I shouted, firing at its head again. As it turned, I ran up the gully and into the shadows as fast as I could, praying I'd judged my distances right the rattler's coil strike missed my back by two or three yards. I gagged and almost tripped as the musky odor of its gaping maw washed over me. Undeterred, the giant reptile resumed the chase, its huge bulk shoving aside rocks and crushing the dry grass at the gully's bottom as it came after me. The monster sounded like a rushing whirlwind on my tail. I wanted to take another shot at it, but I didn't dare slow down. Rocky, look out! Alex shouted, and Brute's awful odor surged over me again. Death was coming, and this time it wouldn't miss. The snake hissed and fell back as two well-placed shots took out its right eye. I glanced back just long enough to see that Wild Bill, bleeding leg and all, had rejoined the fight. The hulk of the derailed locomotive's engine boomed before me two dozen yards uphill to my right. Now, Alec, now! I cried as the mutant snake closed in once more. My bones shook and the canyon thundered with boom-boom Murphy's carefully placed blast. The train engine dislodged from its perch and hurtled to the bottom of the ravine in a cloud of dust and rocks. The gigantic serpent turned toward the new threat, but the locomotive rolled right over it, flattening the monster like roadkill. The snake's thunderous rattle shook frantically for a few long moments and then stopped. Four, eight, and I put a dozen more shots into the thing's eyes just to make sure it was dead. You okay, Bill? I asked. It gave me a nice cut, but I don't think I got poisoned. Eight replied.
0: I'd feel it if I was, right? Yeah. Four agreed. You probably wouldn't be gabbing so much. Who wants to gab? I'd rather be in Reno relaxing by the pool with Donna.
1: Eight replied. That leg wound might get you your wish, I noted, at least for a couple of weeks. The three of us gazed at the giant snake's body as it rapidly disintegrated into a foul-smelling ooze. Just like the damn bugs, I observed. The scope of our little war had expanded again.
0: Well, at least we're not going to have to cut that sucker open to see if it swallowed Hedison's coffin. Eight observed.
1: Agent Ford chuckled.
0: Yeah, but Rocky's not going to get sixteen pair of snakeskin boots out of this ruckus either.
1: I'm just happy to escape with my own skin intact, I replied. Too bad those insurance boys can't say the same. Agent Four smiled grimly.
0: Don't worry. He said. I'm sure that the guys who come to investigate what happened to them will chalk it up to railroad negligence. This has been an original story of Strange Invaders, part of our ongoing series of Atomic Tales. Brought to you by St. Euphoria Productions. Tonight's episode, Trap, was written by Stephen D. Sullivan. It was produced and edited by Christopher R. Mim and read by Rachel Grubb, who also played Agent 3, Suzanne Rocky Rockford. And it featured Elliot Mim as Agent 4, Alec Boom Boom Murphy, Joe George as Agent 8, William Wild Bill Hayes, plus Peter Danbury as Mr. Bellows, and me as Mr. Coffee, the insurance man. Be sure to tune in next month for more Atomic Tales. Please support the films of Christopher R. Mim at SaintEuphoria.com and the work of Stephen D. Sullivan via his Patreon at paysteve.com. Join the conversation at the Monster Conservancy at savemonsters.com. All elements of this episode are copyright 2021 by their creators and may not be reproduced or reused without permission. Atomic Tales and Strange Invaders are trademarks of Stephen D. Sullivan, all rights reserved. This is the St. Euphoria AudioCast Network. Okay, I want to thank you for listening to this edition of the Mimiverse Monthly Audiocast. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed listening to me rant. I hope you enjoyed the history. I hope you enjoyed the latest episode of Atomic Tales. I know Steve Sullivan really enjoys how that's coming together, and I know he's probably got ideas for at least a dozen, two dozen more chapters. So I think Atomic Tales is going to be a big part of this for quite a while going forward. As for you, please take care of yourself during this latest surge. Watch cheesy movies, mine if you feel so inclined. Tell everyone you know about it. Word of mouth is still the best way to sell the Mimiverse to the masses because Amazon ain't giving me the time of day. Check out Driving Monsters, my Roku channel, and watch the Mimiverse holiday special before it's summer. Unless you're one of those Christmas and July types, then I can't stop you. Most importantly, contribute to... The Day the Earth Abruptly Almost Ended, at euphoria.com Be on the lookout. I may announce the next project tomorrow. You never know. But as of right now, I honestly don't know what it is. But again, it's dependent on a lot of things going on in the world right now. So it is what it is. Before I go, as I always say, be good. But if you can't do that, be good at it. Whatever it is you're good at, do it. Be it. Love it cherish it I want you to be safe I want you to be healthy I want you to be around so that when this stuff finally gets better and it will it will it has to it will we're manifesting that in the world I can see you in person I would love to see you in person I would love to give every one of you a hug if you're a hugger and and feel safe about doing it you know long meaningful hugs we can we can get back to human connection again I cannot wait to connect with you. I love you. I love you all. Be well. I'll talk to you again next month.